And remember that we are not descended from fearful men. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Five, four, three. The Kellen and Alex Show. Zero. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Okay, so we have big issues, contraception, abortion, things in Catholic culture and stuff. But issue we may debate here at Franciscan on modesty. Yes. And uh, this isn't an issue that I've been thinking about too much, but uh, it's among some circles, yourself included. Uh, modesty is an issue you'd like to see debated uh, with the Veritas Society, a, a society we both uh, originally co-founded. So That's right. That's right. Um, maybe f- to start off, why do you think, uh, why modesty? As a topic. Yeah, I think, um, you know, well, I, I think what you're referencing is, you know, recently it's become an issue on uh, social media uh, among Franciscan Facebook circles, uh, which I, in fact, uh, in my initial intentions in raising the issue were not to uh, just to <laughs> troll people or to cause a social media firestorm. But I, I, I suppose I made the mistake of thinking that we're still a university and we could actually have an intellectual discussion. And that was my... my Sad mistake, Clint. Sad mistake. Yes, indeed. But in the absence of that, um, yeah, but perhaps um, this is a better format in the fact that we're in person and we can can talk through it. But, you know, why modesty? Why why should we care about modesty? You know, I think there's a a bunch of reasons. Um, But I think um, there's practical reasons in terms of, you know, just... um, morality and, um, you know, what we do to, uh, how we conduct ourselves and how we help our brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, but I think more fundamentally than that, I would say that for me, modesty is one of these issues, which, um, we're very afraid to talk about today, even at Franciscan, Mm. which I find bizarre. And I think it needs to be talked about because it needs to be understood in the wider context in which we find our society. And for me, that wider context is that we are living through a period, and this is maybe a bold statement, perhaps it's an ex- exaggeration, but I, I would say it's plausible to say that we are living in, an, uh, in a time period that is the most anti-woman that we have seen since the pre-Christian era. And wow. I think we've returned to um, almost a pagan level of um, objectifying and dehumanizing women in our society. And of course, the the you know the obvious response would be, well, okay, you know, well, women have the vote today. Women are respected, and they have a place in women society. Women can get abortions. They can use contraception. They can, they can do that as well. Um, but 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 you know, going with it, that at least it's a good thing that women have the vote, and they they have rights which they didn't have in the Middle Ages. It's say. a good thing they have a vote. But no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> maybe a topic for another time. Maybe. Yeah, no, I kidding. think. Well, actually, if you look at the Middle Ages, you know, they actually women had a lot more representation in government than people realize. Hmm. Um, but what I would say is, okay, sure, women have all these rights today, which is which is great, and that's that's good. Um, but it's almost, in a way, that makes it worse because, in spite of all that, our society very perniciously and very subtly um, continues to utterly degrade and dehumanize women. Hmm. Um, you know, since when did it become acceptable to be walking through an airport and to see a giant billboard of an extremely attractive woman who's, uh, you know more or less naked. Like at at what point did we as a society and did we as men in particular decide, you know what, that's okay. And I'm not going to do anything about it. Mm. And that is the level of dehumanization, um, of denying women's femininity, denying their very identity, which I think has become so bad. And we, you know, we mentioned pornography, you know, the levels of, um, pornography of trafficking, 
um, that we have in our society. That's become, um, again, uh, we're reaching almost pagan levels of um, the, the um, dehumanization of women. And so for me, modesty is a discussion that has to take place in that context because right. we have to say, what is, um, what is our societal approach and what is our approach as Catholics to these issues, to the dignity of women, to the dignity of men, to the theology of the body and the way we approach that as a society because we're living in a hypersexualized society, society where women are routinely objectified and nobody says anything. Yeah. Even Catholics don't say anything. Um, and so there's a lot going on here, I guess mm -hmm. is the point I'm making. Um, it's but, like, it's, it's it, I mean, it's the continued commercialization of the woman's body, right? right? You can use a woman's body to, you know, sell something, right? I mean, we, we know from advertising, like having a woman holding a product versus having a man holding a product. Yeah. It's like night and day. The woman mm -hmm. holding the product sells more product. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Just always. That's why you'll see commercials. It's a, a woman with a product and uh, an attractive one usually. Right. Um, commercialization of women's body. I mean, pornography, you can stream. Um, and then th that makes, you know, billions of dollars or whatever. Right. Um, all these apps, these mm. uh, like the hookup apps, like Tinder and whatever, yep. it's basically the commercialization of women's body with their consent. Right. Yes. Because we still have this idea of like consent with sexual stuff. Right. Although that always gets, you know, th that's the reason why all these rape charges and all these other stuff that's going on, the, the Me Too stuff that happened, right, mm. was kind of exposing what was going on. Um, but well, I'm not completely supportive. That's a whole nother thing, but yeah, commercialization of women's body and abortion is also an industry that makes money. Yeah. I mean, they're, they want women to get abortions right, right. To, to say, this is my body. I can do whatever I want, but they're the transgender stuff is also just, I, and I think this is Dr. Plato who's saying this. It's another step of the market into your sexuality and your body to because it, it's very expensive to do transitioning or to get in like there's a whole market that just opens up with right. the transgender stuff right like women are being commercialized yep. not just they're being object uh, objectified by men and yep. commercialized in the marketplace yes i think absolutely and i think again it, it, we i think the way the devil works this among catholics in places like franciscan is is through this uh, as a reference earlier, that you know the frog in the teapot, that it's this this slow but pernicious desensitization, um, where we suddenly come to accept things that fifty or hundred years ago would have been unthinkable. Um, and so, for me, uh, I was thinking about this, you know, ahead of this podcast, um, and I was thinking, you know, why does this issue of uh, modesty or immodesty, why does that bother me so much? And like I say, a lot of it is because of the wider problems, and I, I don't think modesty is something we want to view in isolation by any means. Mm -hmm. um, but there's actually, I think. Uh, I would say there's at least five different cultural lies that we have bought into, which affect the way we view modesty. And I think um, the attitudes that a lot of um, people have towards modesty, where they, they think it's no big deal and they don't want you know men telling them what to do or, or whatever that is. Um, I, th I think there's there's at least five major lies um, that that uh, that are behind that. Um, so first is is I think a huge thing is that. Um, women buy into the lie that their self-worth lies in what other other people think about them. And so, and this is obviously a massive problem with the rise of social media. And you see this, um, it's played out in the in the statistics and the social science evidence that, you know, teenage girls, you know, on Instagram or on Facebook or whatever, they're, they're, they're identifying their self-worth and the number of likes they get, you know, the number of responses they get to their posts. Uh, and it's, you know, leading to huge levels of depression, anxiety, and suicide. 
Um, and so I think that lies behind the idea that my self-worth as a woman lies in how other people see me. And so I'm going to dress accordingly because if I can dress in a certain way that makes other people look at me favorably, other people desire me, other men desire me, if I can um, feel wanted and desired, then that boosts my self-worth. And I think that's a huge lie. The second lie is that, is that the, the sexual value of the body is the highest value. And this is, you know, I think fairly um, commonplace now in our society that, um, you know, the, the, the Jason Everett talks about this, that modesty is, is not saying that the body is bad. Um, but what it is saying is that in our fallen world, it's important to remember that though the sexual value of the body is good, it isn't the most important value. And so if you are dressing or behaving in a way that, um, puts your sexual value at the fore, at the expense of your value as a human being with a reason and will, um, then, then that's a problem. So if I, as and this can go both ways, if I, have a, as a man, am, am advertising my sexual value um, at the expense of a much deeper value of who I am as a person, then that's a problem. That's distracting and it's misleading. Um, so that's the second major thing. I think the third thing that I would see, and uh, we, we can discuss any of these more, mm. but I'll just go through them. But the, the third major lie I see uh, that comes up in this, <laughs> this debate is that um, if, if I criticize your actions and the way you behave, then I am attacking you as a person. Mm. And that's a massive cultural lie, which many people are brought into, especially with the rise of social media. But if, if, I, if I suggest um, that yoga pants, maybe there's a problem with that. Or even if a female writer for the New York Times suggests that maybe yoga pants are bad for women, um, she's actually attacking every woman, personally attacking every woman who wears yoga pants. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, you know, it's patently absurd. The fourth thing I think um, that I see is that um, there's just a, a, a massive um, acceptance of a really crude individualism at the heart of this, um, this debate where, where we say effectively, uh, my body, my choice that this is my body. I'm a, I'm a woman. I, I have, you know, it's the 21st century. I mean, come on. I, I have my rights. I can, I can dress as I wish. Uh, I mean, nobody's denying that. Sure. You can dress as you wish. Uh, but the idea that, um, oh, this is, this is just a men's problem. You know, if, if they don't, you know, if they struggle with this, then that's their fault. Um, th I mean, what, what kind of like, is, how is that approach in any way Christian mm. where we say, oh, this is my body. I can do whatever I want with it. And I have no concern for the people around me. And that kind of leads into the fifth, well, I think the fifth major lie um, behind this is that effectively it says that good enough is good enough. That um, my friend Bethany pointed this out on social media recently, that typically with a virtue, we're not striving for what's acceptable, what's good enough. With, with virtue, we're taking seriously our, word, uh, our Lord's words in, in Matthew 5, 48, that we should be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect. And so the, the question is not um, how short can I go uh, it comes up for me quite a lot when I'm, you know, dressing in the morning or, you know, is this too revealing? Mm. Um, you know, my seductive blue eyes coming across too much on this sunny, sunny and afternoon. Accent, and the British accent. I have to turn that down sometimes. The hearts. Um, but no, the, the question is um, not what's good enough, but what what is virtuous? What is perfect? How can we be more perfect? Mm. And that, I, I know a lot of people roll their eyes at that and think, oh yeah, you know, you know that just means like some kind of, Little House on the Prairie, traditional Catholicism, where we all wear, you know, floor length skirts and whatnot. But no, it, it's it, being perfect and pursuing virtue is actually, it's, it's an adventure. It's, it's 
um, exciting. It's, you know, John Paul II talks about in The Theology of the Body, we need a more spontaneous love where actually this is something that is passionate, where we're actively striving for the good and it's beautiful and it's, it's desirable. Um, because ultimately lust and immodesty, these things are boring. They're, mm. they're pale imitations of the real thing. So those are, they, I, I've they're talked cheap a lot. and they're purchasable too, which is like, and, and I want to stick on the social media point that you made, like how this is completely, let, let's go and for our listeners, this is, you know, we're talking a serious subject here, but, um, the complete opposite of modesty. I don't know if you've heard there's, uh, there's been a big push on social media that sex work is work. First of all, and the second one is uh, OnlyFans it's a website, which basically is like it's basically make your own pornography oh. and put up nude photos or whatever. And it's it's almost like the oh like YouTube where you can upload anything. But OnlyFans is a subscription. I don't know everything about this, John, and maybe you could look up some more about how their business model. Well, works. don't look up the website. Not, <laughs> not look up, but just look about their business model works. I don't, I don't look up the website. I'm, I'm not saying that, but it's subscriber based. Yeah, so if you know what Patreon is, right? So you pay a monthly like subscription, $5 or something to support a creator, right? And then you get certain benefits for that. Well, OnlyFans is basically the self-made pornographic version of uh, Patreon where you, you know, and and I mean, just every type of degenerate, whatever uh, you want, you know, somebody has got a niche that they're making money off of that. And some girls who are doing this are making six figures right. a year doing right. this type of, and, and now it's not just like, oh, you have to be in the, you know, the pornographic industry or whatever. Now people are just like making OnlyFans accounts yeah. who are like 20 years old and broke who are in college or something like that. Like it's, it's, um, <laughs> it's so, <laughs> that is where, and, and people think that's liberating. People think that's like being free where right. you can just post nude photos of yourself, which mm. will you sell for money, but will be on the internet for the rest of your life, right? Your yep. grandchildren may see that. Yep. Uh, assuming you have children at some point, whatever. But, Doubtful. Um, like this, the thing for me with the the modesty stuff that you're pointing out is is the fact that there are a certain number of people making a lot of money off of all of this, right? Yep. So, uh, coming up soon, Lululemon, the company, is having their earnings call, and everyone thinks Lululemon's going to crush earnings in, in the market. And because people are at home and they want like comfortable clothes and they Wait, want what, what is Lululemon? Lululemon is the uh, basic yoga pants. They're one of the oh wow women's okay. yoga pants. And there's a whole um, <laughs> there's a whole market for what they call athleisure, athletic leisure. Yep. Mm. So this whole push for um, yeah yoga pants like leisure but athletic clothes where you kind of wear them, they're comfortable or whatever. Right, right. More and more people are buying them, and they're making a killing. Mm. Right, that's their whole brand, their whole thing. Their whole brand is wear this in public, which is mostly immodest clothing that really should be only used in gym or something like that. But we're pushing it to be worn anywhere. Um, they pay people on social media, mm. on Instagram mostly, yeah. to wear their stuff and promote their stuff. Right, right, right. And so they're using social media to feed their money machine, like mm. because because sex sells on advertising, yeah. on on money, on whatever. Like, and and uh, it's convincing women that this is a viable means of making money. Mm. And especially in a culture which is like always pushing, you need to be successful, you need to make money, you need to whatever. Right. If you can socially make it acceptable mm. to make an OnlyFans account mm. or to be a sex worker or whatever, people on social media saying sex work is work, right? That's the big push. Then you've convinced all these women to, yeah, you're, you're basically, we're, 
these companies are just big pimps. That's all they are. Right. And and it, and and it's and the culture's telling them this is a good thing. It's telling the women it's a good thing, and it's a great thing for the people, mostly mm-hmm. men, who are making all this money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you don't know what a lawful cry. I mean, it's. Um, yeah, I, think- I mean, you don't have to look too far to see what you're you're talking about in in just this modesty topic, right? Right. It's it's so all over our culture, and it's in our face all the time, and yeah. we just don't seem to recognize it. We either just ignore it, or we just don't want to address it. Yeah, and it's it's tremendously saddening. I think that again, even at a place like Franciscan University, we are all affected by the cultural uh, mindset and we are all we've all bought into it to some extent where this like i said you know that we can walk through an airport and see a half naked woman or um just sprawled across a billboard and we don't say a word we we don't we don't even think there's a problem anymore um and let me push back a little bit yeah. all right so what it, the response right okay well why don't you just not pay attention to that. Mm-hmm. Just ignore that stuff, right? Yeah. If you if you don't want to, you know, view porn and look at these ads on billboards or whatever, and that's your personal choice. Yeah, like no one's twisting your arm to do all this stuff. Like, right. why don't you just walk this nice Christian path and let if people want to buy this stuff, if they want to have an, you know, if this girl wants to have an OnlyFans account and make a hundred thousand dollars <laughs> selling nude pics of her doing weird stuff, yeah, then let her do it. Like what? Why do you want to infringe on that? Yeah, I think it's a it's a fair question. Um, I think uh, with a billboard, it's <laughs> um, uh, an ironic question since the whole purpose of the billboard and where it's placed is that you can't help but see it. Um, but let, let, but yeah, let's take a harder example. You know, uh, a woman is working out in the gym. She's wearing, you know, very tight fitting clothing or whatever, and it's it's immodest and. Um, and She's just going about a business. She's just working out, and and as a guy, why don't I just look the other way? Why don't or why don't I have more self control? Um, and I think the obvious answer is, well, yeah, I should look the other way. I should have self control. Um, so great, but like, does that mean there's no problem? Well, no, I think that's stupid. You know, I think, um, like I said, I, I think it's buying into a number of different lies. One of them is that um, a woman can do whatever she likes and that she shouldn't care about the people around her. Um, and again, I, I don't think this is a female-only issue. I think it goes both ways. But I think because it's primarily men in our culture who are the problem in terms of the objectification, I think it's primarily women who have the responsibility for um, things like modesty. Um, and I think um, it has to be, um, you know, w- women should dress more modestly in accordance with, um, in the same way that men need to to stop, you know, being lustful and stop being perverts. Um, and, and the two need to come together and it shouldn't be a blame game where women say, oh, well, you know, this is men's problem, so I don't have to do anything. And likewise, men can't say, oh, well, you know, women are all dressing this way, so I don't have to do anything. Obviously, you know, as a man, I would put much more emphasis on, on the man's role, um, but, that, but I think women also need to, you know, to, they need to dress in accordance with their dignity. You know, I think, and that's the more fundamental point is that, Modesty is is fundamentally a positive thing. Uh, Jason Everett talks about it being uh, both an invitation to contemplation and a ministry of beauty. And he references Dostoevsky that beauty will save the world. That every I like time, that quote. Uh, yeah, amen, <laughs> I'm a Dostoevsky amen. fan, it's, number one right here. <laughs> it's it's and it's a profound thought 
that the female body in a unique way imitates the the ever ancient ever new beauty of the blessed trinity mm. and we sense that as men every time you see a gorgeous woman um you feel like you've never seen a woman before like it's it's like it's a, it's like an, an utterly novel experience you know we don't get bored of seeing um you know a beautiful woman every time it's like a a reinvitation to the contemplation of it's a finite reflection of the the infinite ever new beauty of the blessed trinity there's a real power uh in the, the feminine physique in the feminine identity um in both her body and her genius and so you know for me primarily whilst there is the element of charity fraternal charity towards those around you towards men and also towards women because if you're dressing immodestly you're not helping the woman around you you know you're making them um, full prey to you know comparisons and to self objectification, um, but but more fundamentally than any of that, modesty is about um, accepting your dignity as a daughter of God, and in the same way that the the tabernacle in the temple and then in the, in the church is is veiled, a woman's body is veiled, and this would be the reason why you don't wear you know skin tight leggings, which is basically skin paint, is because no, there's actually a tremendous value there that deserves to be veiled and deserves to be regarded as of infinite worth, as something precious, something to be safeguarded at all costs. And it's a travesty that men, so many men in our society have forgotten that. Um, but it's incumbent on both sexes to continue to safeguard that. Mm. And that's a, it's not just a female thing. It's not just a male thing, but it's a both and. But primarily it is a positive thing. As Jason Everett says, it's a ministry of beauty. Um, and I think, um, I think if, we, if, we, if we fall into this kind of blame game, you know, that, that, didn't, that didn't go so well in the Garden of Eden. No, it doesn't um, help at all. And it, it Do you know that full Dostoevsky quote? It, the, I don't actually. So it's, uh, beauty is a war. Satan and Christ are there and the battlefield is the heart of man. Wow. So, I mean, it's, and it's pff, take only fans accounts. <laughs> yeah. Can you say that, that, say is, that one more time? Uh, beauty is a war. Christ and Satan are there and the battlefield is the heart of man. Wow. Right. And so Christ and Satan are fighting in, well, because with, with Christian beauty, it's a transcendence, right? Mm. Like you're talking about, there's, there's an element with, uh, when you're seeing a beautiful woman or something, there's, uh, a part of you that wants to like contemplation of the Trinity, but there's also the human part would like right human instinct type stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So both of those, they're they're not in. You could say they're in conflict. Maybe they're in harmony in some ways, but like you can't deny your humanity and mm -hmm. just say, "Well, I'm some spiritual being." Yeah. You can't also just deny the spiritual and just say, "I'm just some Darwinian evolutionary just sure. primate," you know, sure. just big monkey, you know, big monkey see beautiful woman, right? <laughs> That's so the. The OnlyFans, which I'm, I'm only like really focusing on this because it's, it's, it's. Uh, I think it's just going to get bigger, and I think more and more people are going to get trapped in right, this right. terrible, terrible website and, and other stuff. And there's tons of other things like this, but that the Satan's beauty route is money, and hey, look, this will make you successful from the woman's perspective. From the guy's perspective, it's well, I mean, there's this is beautiful. Right. Mm. This is beautiful. Well, there's nothing transcendent in it. Mm. There's nothing like peering into the divine in any way. Mm. But um, yeah, it is. Oh, this is beautiful in a human physical way. Yeah. You know what I mean? 
uh, I don't know if you remember Waldstein's uh, seminar he did with us on nudity and art yeah, back sure, in the day. Yeah, it was yeah. fantastic. But he compared the, uh, it was the the Venus of Urbino, uh, the the Renaissance painting where yes. the Venus is coming out of uh, this this uh, the shell and like this mythical scene. Yeah, sure. There's like Hermes blowing wind in the background yeah. and she's pretty much in full nude. Um, she's covering her privates, but- then there's another Venus that's based on that one mm. that uh, I think it was 1700s. I can't remember the painter, but um, it was it was an image of a. It was the same, almost juxtaposed, but she she was a prostitute, mm. and you know, obviously the Venus was a, a goddess. Yeah, and the way that she was looking at the, you know, the in the scene was. Uh, you could tell from like an artistic perspective, there was a different look there. And Volstein was like drawing right. out that just look. Just in the eyes. Just yeah. in the eyes, yeah. right? And I think that's with the human form, there's this either motive to transcendent beauty mm. or there's a motive to just deny the transcendent and just say it's just human. Yeah. And um, like you're saying with modesty, the way that we're dressing should be like drawing out that kind of transcendent beauty mm. rather than drawing out the human instinct beauty mm. like you're talking about with and and there's certain clothing that certainly tends towards one or the other. Sure. Um, and I I think you know you you asked the question you know, what okay well say you're say it's a, a girl who's dressed immodestly and a guy um, is you know feels drawn to that then why doesn't he just avert his gaze or whatever and I I think the way I look at that you know in addition to everything else I said is um, you know in that situation there's only like three or four possible candidates of guys okay so there's um, first of all, there, there's like the psychopath who doesn't feel any sexual attraction. He's probably dead. Um, so we can rule him out. Okay. And then we've got, um, we've got just your regular pervert who, um, seeing, um, uh, seeing the way the girl is dressed, will you know, uh, look at her butt or whatever. And, you know, will just lust after her, um, and then you've got, I think, a whole category of men now, and this is part of the reason why this issue has become so difficult to talk about, is you have men that have become so desensitized through pornography that they actually don't really feel much at all. They don't even feel aroused looking at a woman dressed like that. Um, so you have them. They're bored. They're bored, exactly. <laughs> Just look at um, all these ads for ED stuff. Right. Like there's there's a new ED drug, like erectile yeah. dysfunction drug, almost every day. So not only are we going to get you addicted to this stuff, we're going to sell you drugs so that you can get aroused enough <laughs> right? It's, it's, to get aroused to this stuff it's again. It's gross. And we're so selling like, you both ends of it. We're selling you, so, yeah, anyways. So these people, <laughs> these men I, I don't, and so these men go around saying, <laughs> okay, I won't. John just said, don't go on the WebMD page for ED. He said, it doesn't recommend it. Anyways. The, these men, you know, the, these men say, oh, wow. I mean, you know, she can dress the way she likes. I mean, I don't have a problem. And I mean, if you're attracted to that, if that arouses you, then I'm sorry, dude, but look the other way. I mean, like <laughs> these guys are literally most nights they're in their dorm room with the curtains drawn and they're viewing pornography. And then they're preaching to their fellow men saying, hey, why are you pervy and looking at my girlfriend this way? And it's like, are you kidding me? You, I mean, you have a girlfriend? Are you, like, are you for real? You're, you're like a piece of crap, okay? And then in the fourth category of guys who are actual men, 
are guys who are actually striving for virtue, who are sexually functional, sexually healthy, and actually, you know what? Surprise, surprise, when a woman wears skin-tight clothing and is deliberately revealing her form and her physique, like have you ever studied architecture? Like this is basic physics, that your eye is drawn to certain things. When a woman dresses like that, and again, a woman is beautiful and she's attractive and she knows that, then a guy who's perfectly healthy perfectly virtuous, is going to feel his gaze drawn towards that. And he has to, every time he goes out, every time he goes to the gym, every time he freaking goes to church, he has to be making a conscious effort to pray to St. Michael to try and resist temptation, to avert his gaze. And he doesn't even know where to look. And so why can't we just say, why is it so controversial to say, like, woman, you are beautiful. You are loved. You are daughters of God. So please dress in a way don't do it just for me. Don't do it just because you're afraid about being objectified, but dress for yourself in a way that befits your dignity. Dress in a way that um, appreciates your identity, appreciates your infinite self-worth, and dress in a way that draws the eyes not to any particular part of your body, not in a way that draws the gaze to overvalue your sexual value at the expense of the rest of you, but actually dress in a way that draws the, the gaze of men to your face, to your eyes, where they can see you as a person, and you can return their gaze and you can have that interpersonal encounter. Like, I think if we could, if we could just get that right at Franciscan and in the culture more largely, then that would, that would be an amazing thing, but it's so difficult to achieve. And it's so difficult to talk about because we're so embroiled in all these, these misconceptions, all these assumptions, as well as just sin and, and things like yeah. pornography. How about to the, okay. The pushback of, well, I don't really know how to like, okay. From a woman's perspective, like I thought I was dressing modestly, mm. right? Like this is how I've normally dressed. I've never sure. changed it, whatever. I never thought this was being modest in any way. Like, is there like a list I should consult? Like, don't wear this, wear that. Uh, how practically do you start from a woman's perspective being like, well, let me think, is that immodest? Should I just burn that clothes mm. and mm. wear this one. Like, yeah. What, like how practically do you even start to move into? Yeah. It, it's, it's a fair question. Um, and I think, and, and then also I have a second, yeah, please we'll yeah. get to that. But the second one is like, doesn't a woman want to look attractive? Yes. Right. And part of that always will be sexually attractive as well. Sure. Sure. Um, because we're not just, you know, it's not just arranged marriages. Yeah. Like you want to attract good attention from a good guy. Yeah. Right. I mean, in that, uh, it doesn't always just mean uh, if everybody was wearing like, you know, from Christmas story, the, <laughs> when he goes outside with like the 15 layers of snow clothing, like if every girl is wearing that, it might be hard to attract attention. So they want to look sexually attractive as yes. well. I mean, yeah. men also don't want to just be wearing shot and clothes like sure, uh, sure. the guy from Charlie Brown. He's like, you know, freaking yeah. whatever all the time. Anyways, uh, uh, what's the guy's name? Pin pin pig pen. Yeah. So. <laughs> We, if we had a world of pig pins and women dressed like the guy from uh, from Christmas Story with all the layers, we probably would have a very dysfunctional, non-reproductive society. Like maybe like Japan or something, by the way. Which, yeah, yeah. Or other of these countries. By the way, that's... I'm going on 15 different things at one time, which yeah, you should know by now. That's the Kellen Alex show where her hair goes a, There's to a lot die. going but on here. You look at Japan. It's a very hyper-sexualized country, too. They're right. having terrible problems with reproduction. Right. It's limits. ironic. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 right there with it. Okay. So those two things of like a woman practically saying, okay, well, what do I do? Do I burn sure. half my clothes? Yeah. How do I dress it? And then 
yeah, we'll just address that first. Well, yeah. Um, so first of all, I, I, well, two things. I, first of all, I, I'm not sure women will come to uh, to me necessarily for all their fashion advice. Um, so I, I realized that, that what, would I, be fun, huh? what I <laughs> what I what I what I yeah, to, you should wear that. All right. <laughs> I think what I have to offer in this department may be limited. Uh, I. I also did have this sinking feeling as I saw the the 200th comment come in on the Facebook thread that okay yeah I think I smoked any little chance I had of getting a girl, girlfriend senior year. <laughs> but, but, okay, let me. In, you posted a uh, article from New York Times basically, mm. and it was a woman arguing. This is a few years ago, right? Yeah, yeah. Opinion piece that women shouldn't wear yoga pants in public. Right. right. You posted this on Franny's chat, which, by the way, Franciscan conservative Orthodox <laughs> place. You had what thirty likes and something like two hundred something comments, <laughs> yeah. right? So. That ratio is a little concerning. Yeah. All right. John's telling us what we're at in terms of likes and comments. Thirty-seven reactions. Okay, that's, that's not bad. Thirty-eight comments. I'm, I'm a little Congrats. disappointed, but it's. it's I've not never bad. made a social media anything with three hundred thirty-eight <laughs> interactions. Um, let alone. Yeah. Um, but so yeah, to, to, I guess to unpack your questions, and I think they're very good questions, actually. Um, you know, firstly, uh, no man wants woman to go around. Um, wearing a box or, or just wearing a sack. I mean, like that is not what we're going for. Uh, and like, ladies, please don't do that. Um, that would, that would, that would kind of stink. Not going to lie. Um, but so there, there is a way to dress. Um, you, you should dress in a way that's feminine and again, a way that, um, that, um, respects your dignity and your beauty. And that includes your femininity and includes, um, your physicality. Um, but there, you know, I think there's a, there's there's ways of doing that um, that are better than others. So, you know, practically, what do you do? Again, I I don't have all the answers by any stretch, but I can offer a few thoughts, and then I, I think it has to be a more, um, you know, as part of a, a broader conversation, which obviously I think has to be primarily led by women who are who are pursuing modesty. But, um, you know, I think uh, I was hearing recently about this article that this this woman wrote about. You know, I, ne- I never realized that a bikini could conceal so much uh and and i think there's there's so much truth in that that a bikini really conceals um the the identity of the woman um as a woman as a person because it overemphasizes um her sexual value and so i think you know a bikini for me is like uh is a no-brainer like you know the idea that you would wear that the history of the bikini is kind of fascinating that you know the guy who invented it couldn't get any models in paris to to try it out because they're like i'm not going on a stage in my underwear and so he ended up having to use a prostitute to push it um and i, I think that says something so i you know i think that's a that's a firm no um in my opinion um but you know things like leggings yoga pants or whatever you know i think often the question that that should be um there for the woman is um, and again, I, I don't like how, how much we're emphasizing. This is a somewhat one-sided conversation that we're putting it everything on the woman. And I think there is a, there's a strong masculine element in this as well. Um, but I guess since this is the topic of discussion, uh, and this is what a lot of it's revolved around on Facebook, um, just run with that for a moment. But, you know, I, I think if you're, you know, you're getting dressed in the morning, if there's an element where you're, you're sort of thinking about your dressing, and maybe sometimes it's kind of a subconscious element, which women aren't even fully aware of, but if, if there's an element of, I am doing this because um, I think a woman knows her body is attractive uh, and I think she knows her legs are attractive and, and whatever. So, you know, if there's an element of I'm putting this on, I'm wearing this in a certain way in order to get people's attention, um, either to make, get women to make comparisons and to, and to see me as more beautiful than them or to get men to, um, to gaze at me, 
uh, to desire me. If there's any element of that, then I think that that should be like a warning sign. And that goes for men as well. Like I think men also need to be modest. I think men, their modesty comes primarily in the the affective rather than the sensual realm. But I think even in the sensual realm, men them do have to take precautions, you know? And I like wearing this, this kind of like tight, I don't know, muscle shirt or whatever, just to kind of show off. Well, then that's not modest and that's, that's unhelpful. Um, and so I think th those are some principles. I think practically, you know, if you're going to wear yoga pants, then what about just a simple step of putting on a pair of shorts over them? You know, so it's not revealing your butt. Um, it's not revealing like every little detail, um, again, where it's like basically a skin paint, but like, why, why don't you just wear shorts over your yoga pants? Um, I was talking about the other day is shorts, like shorts seem more comfortable if you're working out. I don't know. Yeah, yoga pants I, haven't skin tight anything. I yeah, I, see, I've Anyways, never, I'm I've, not a, I've, I've never <laughs> worn them, so I, I couldn't make an opinion on them. But I, yeah, I think I've only worn skin tight when I've. I don't know. When they I've done, sell a lot. I mean, they. I mean, it's, huge. over the like the last ten years, that whole market of yoga pants, whatever, like huge. Yeah, it's huge. it's odd. I've only worn skin tight stuff when I when I've been skiing, and then you're doing it just to keep warm. No. Um, but yeah, the the it is odd. It doesn't seem very comfortable. Um, but I mean, what I'm saying is like. You know, I think if you just wear a pair of shorts over them, yeah. then like it's it's infinitely more modest. And I think again with like, you know, if you're talking about just shorts and, and, and nothing under them, and you know, the shorts <laughs> it seems remarkable. You you never think the shorts can get shorter and then they do, uh, which is a very sort of European thing, by the way. But I, I think like, you know, why just show darn Europeans <laughs> always giving us all this crap. Like, all right. You know, I think is it really um do you really want to be showing like, what is the reason for wearing shorts that are that short? Um, like, is it just because it's, um, I don't know. It, I think it's kind of like an admixture of comfort. And then if it makes you look good. I think and, most uh, clothing I think today the, is like, well, I feel comfortable. Sure. And like, yeah, I look all right. Anyway. But with, with three extra inches, would that change your comfort a whole lot? I mean, guys seem to get by wearing, um, you know, normal length shorts. I, mean, I, I think that the, 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 the distinctive element is the, it looks good. I think a woman... Um, and maybe I get crucified for saying this, but my impression is, and, and I don't think it's, it should really be that controversial is like they wear that because they know their legs are attractive uh, and they want to show them off because they're beautiful, you know, and that's okay. Granted, but like, is that women's is that legs helpful? are beautiful. Heard here first. <laughs> Kellen and Alex show breaking news. I think, um, I mean, if a woman doesn't know that, then I may be concerned. Like, like, I mean, like you literally, you seem to spend a long time, like a lot of your week seems to be shaving them and like, I don't know, <laughs> working out and like all this stuff. I mean, uh, if, if you're, I mean, if you, if you literally have no interest in a guy seeing okay, your legs, let's, then, let's then just wear the longer shorts. And if, yeah. if that is your motive is for men to be drawn to them and sexually drawn to them, then there's, there might be a problem there. Okay. Let's get to the functional aspect with like clothing and stuff. Right. So we, so I am from the sunny Southern California. <laughs> Uh, immodest capital of the world, um, but it, it's warm outside. You know, Alex, we live I, near I, the wouldn't, beach. Well, I wouldn't want to see you in a bikini. I got, I got. Uh, it's yeah, no, it's a good. Well, there, there is a nude beach actually, not terribly far. But the only people <laughs> who go to the nude beach are old men. Oh no, totally. Yeah, it's always pervy men. It's, it's, it's really, it's just really old creepy. men who are just like, you know what? I'm, you know, pudgy. I'm seventy. Yep. Let's just go for it. Yep. You know, gross. And anyway, so and it's also the best surf spot in San Diego. It's called Black's Beach. <laughs> And it's actually a racist name because it was a black guy who owned the property and then they called it Black's Beach. Wow. Uh, but anyways, and, and it's, uh, yeah, Black's Beach in San Diego and uh, there's old men who are naked there and really good surf. All right. We so should, uh, anyways. We should go sometime. I, I think pilgrimage is underway. We should go yep. right now. Uh, Sign me up. San Diego. Anyway, so it's, people are by the beach. Um, yeah, like you were saying with 
bikinis or any other like uh, so functional clothing at the beach right so you're yeah. i mean have you ever seen like those old photos back in the day like 1920s at the beach and like all the women are in these like swimsuits that are like ankle to like you know they it does not look very comfortable it looks yeah. like yeah it looks like they're in like a what is it called burka ning nim quab something i don't know all the muslim stuff but anyways they look like they're in that and they also have like the hats and all that stuff mm. and then the men are legit in suits so obviously that's not very functional <laughs> yeah, <laughs> at yeah. the beach. Right. Um, and you know, there's been a progression and I agree with you on that. There's been a progression from, okay, that to like, okay, let's, I don't even know what the middle stuff is. And now we're on like swimsuits. We got it as now. And this is just functional for the beach, right? Cause clothing sure. has a very functional element to it. I, I would kind of, I think comfort is primary in mm. most of our clothing today. Um, unless, uh, unless you're like in a business sphere or something like that, like you're, you're trying to make functional, like this, the suit originally was to make, uh, was to make everyone wear the same thing in a business. Right. Yeah. And even like women's clothing has kind of mimicked that like business formal stuff yeah, mimics sure. the, let's just clothing is just going to be all static. So we have a functional workplace. Mm-hmm. Right. And you don't want to be wearing some fancy stuff. You just want to wear a suit. So you all look the same. Right. Sure. And and clothing also at the beach, it's functional that you're outside. You want to be tanning. You want to be playing in the water. You want to play in the sand and whatever. It's hot. So you don't want to have a bunch of clothing on. Yeah. Functional element there. Now we've kind of created, we have this middle ground of sometimes work for a lot of people can be jeans and a t-shirt or jeans and like just a regular shirt or mm-hmm. something like that. Or mm-hmm. it could be uh, a whole number of things, including, let's say you're working as uh, like a secretary at a medical office or something like that. Like you could even be wearing yoga pants and figure out a way to make it, you know, business and, and workplace, whatever. Right. Um, and it doesn't mean you're in your your sports bra and, and yoga pants mm-hmm. at the thing, but you could wear it and kind of make it like comfort and function about the functionability with clothing. That seems to be like dependent on where you are. You're not going to wear that to church, maybe, but you'll wear that to you know, you wear this to the beach or that to your business formal stuff. Mm. So like, how do you, is there any principles to guide all the different functions of clothing to be modest in all these different situations Mm. where you're saying, well, I don't want to wear a suit to the beach. I actually want to take my shirt off and just wear shorts. Yeah. Is that immodest? Or, you know, if I have a casual situation where I'm going to the gas station to go buy beer or something like that, well, let's take a woman's example. Going to the store to buy wine. <laughs> yeah. Do I need to really be concerned if I'm wearing sweatpants and sure. like just a, a tank top or something like that? Yeah. So how basically like what principles do you take into a functionality part of clothing? Yeah. Because sure. that seems to be the. It's a big part of, of it. Yeah. yeah. How do you how do you have discretion? Yeah, I think it's a good question. It's something that JP two talks about. Um, you know, that the modesty does vary sometimes um, based on, you know, place and circumstances that, you know, you can, you can undress in front of a, a doctor for a medical examination and that's not immodest um, per se. So there, there are obviously um, extenuating factors that can, that can have a, an impact. I think, um, you know, I think how do you, um, yeah, how do you make those determinations, say, in a beach setting or, you know, if you're into the store or whatever? Uh, I think, I don't know if I have any, like, hard, fast answer. Um, I think a lot of it is is using prudence. Um, I think there's certain things which are never acceptable in public. You know, I think, um, 
Um, but also, so bikini for me would be one of those, um, or a guy just going around in his boxes, you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, I think you want to, um, ultimately I think comfort can't be the highest value. You know, that, that's kind of a stupid approach and certainly not a Christian approach. So there might be, yeah, I mean, I, I don't have any trouble granting that there might be something that is more comfortable, but isn't as acceptable, you know, maybe there's something that's more comfortable, but is not modest. And so shouldn't be worn in the same way that like, you know, you shouldn't, it doesn't just have to be modesty. You know, there might be some, you know, it wouldn't be appropriate for me to, um, go to a funeral in my pajamas. And like, I could, I could go there and take a strong moral stance that no, this is comfortable and I need to do this, but it would actually be not only stupid for me to go in my pajamas, but actually be downright wrong because I wouldn't be giving the occasion or myself or the people around me, the respect and dignity they deserve. Right. So it doesn't just, we don't have to limit this to modesty. Mm. Um, but I think, you know, I think there are some, there's some interesting questions like, you know, should a guy wear a top, you know, should he wear a shirt at the beach? Um, and I've actually like become more of the opinion that maybe he should. I, I mean, I've never worn top of the uh, shirt at the beach and, you know, the women I know appreciate that about me that they, uh, get to gaze on all that gaze on me and all my glory. Pure muscle. Um, yeah, no, yeah, no, no, Pure swole. there is, <laughs> um, <laughs> well, let's try right now. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Let me take off your shirt. We'll, we'll verify. All right. Um, <laughs> but I'm saying we, Shirtless I, podcast. I, yeah. We're going to do an immodest shirtless <laughs> podcast, right? I, I realize my pecs can be a, a near occasion for sin, but both men and <laughs> women. Um, but like, no, but for real, and I actually think you could even- but for real. No, they are. <laughs> <laughs> I actually think you could say, I even think you could take the principle of maybe a guy who is ripped, uh, which sadly isn't me, a guy who is ripped, maybe he should help hold himself to a higher standard. And that seems kind of weird to us because I think. Okay, so that was maybe another question. Like, yeah. Uh, okay, I'm not actually going. <laughs> well, like, so, so okay, if a woman knows that she is more sexually attractive or, or very, very beautiful or whatever, like, is there different standards? <laughs> it, it, now, that's. Uh, w this is Clem. I'm putting this on you. I'm putting this question on you. I'm not. <laughs> Well, try to answer it myself. Let me so first let me adjust the male issue. So you're okay. you're, you're a guy Big who's from males, you're a guy who's ripped um and he's at the beach yes, and I am. he's just wearing <laughs> just wearing his trunks yeah. or even just his speedos. Is that modest? Well, I I actually tend to think probably not. Uh because I think although women are nowhere near as visually attracted as men are, it's a stereotype to say they have no visual attraction and actually that could be um I think inappropriate for him to do that. And like I said, I'm kind of um agnostic on whether all men should wear a shirt at the beach, that kind of thing. But certainly like a guy who's like really ripped, I actually think it'd be humble and modest of him to say, hey, I know I have a pretty epic body and I worked hard for this, but I'm going to cover it up because I don't just want to show it off. And there you get the sense like modesty is a word in the English language that has kind of two meanings. Modest in the sense of like chastity and sexuality, but also modest. You know, he's a modest guy. He's a humble guy. He's self-effacing. And that'd be modest in both those senses. It's like, mm. you know, the, the guy in that situation He's good looking dude. He's got it's his- It's like age. a confidence not to show off. Exactly. Yeah. He doesn't need to do that. And, and you know, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to just draw attention to his body just so that men can feel jealous and women can feel attracted to it, you know? And so I think that would be a, a case of male modesty being very appropriate. Um, yeah. I mean, a girl who's more attractive. Um, I don't know. I think it's hard because, and this is why I think, you know, may, maybe all men should wear shirts is like, because, you know, different guys are attracted to different things. Um, so a woman who's, you know, attractive to one guy might not be as attractive to another. So there is a subjective element. Um, yeah. Do they have to hold themselves to a higher standard? Well, 
Um, I guess maybe, but I, I don't know. I feel like the standard would kind of equally apply. Mm. I guess like if you're, you know, if you're a college girl and you're, you know, you know, you're young and you're at the height of your kind of attractiveness, then yeah, I mean, it's an, it's an especially pertinent issue to you. You know, if you're a mother of seven in your fifties, it's not quite as relevant or if you're an old mm. grandma, you know? Um, but I think at every stage of life, it's something that we need to, again, because it's, you know, even if you're an old grandma at the beach, you still recognize your beauty and self-worth in the way you dress and the way you veil yourself. Uh, even if there's not, you know, a bunch of guys lusting after you. And it's, kind of, it's kind of a weird thought, but like, you know, but I think there's still that every person, every woman, every daughter of God needs to have that self-respect because you can objectify yourself and, and that's never something you want to do. I have a kind of weird self-consciousness with this podcast that like in 10 years, I might look back and be like, yeah, that was really cringe. It was, you know, we're talking about <laughs> modesty. We didn't know crap or whatever, like when you're married, whatever. I don't know. I, I just I just have this weird feeling about that. But I, I want to put this in here that we're talking about a, a subject within the broader culture of the complete objectification of women in our culture, right. like the sexualization of women. Like this is an issue that is, you know, it requires a uh, a practical eye of like, am I, am I being modest in this situation? There's certain principles and but. Like we can agree, you know, whether or not you think modesty is such a big issue or whatever, like we can agree that women and the sexualization of women in our culture has gone, you know, it's completely anti-Christian. It's, it's anti-woman. It's 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 denigrating her beauty and the beauty of uh, femininity. Mm. And this issue within the broader issue mm. of the sexualization of women. And that's why I brought up uh, the OnlyFans and the other stuff that's going on that even like people are trying to promote social media wise that sex work is work. And um, one thing that's been a huge issue, right, is, is social media, Instagram, Instagram specifically, right? That if, if the devil and Christ are, are fighting a war with beauty, the devil's Instagram, right? <laughs> that's his main, his main battlefield is right, is right there because it's nothing but showing off. Yeah. It's, it's one picture to convey to people what you want to convey to them. And a lot of it's selling products. Yeah. It's it's selling the yoga pants or it's selling makeup brands. Like people have become fabulously wealthy off of makeup brands. Right, right. Right. Cause they'll make a um uh some type of makeup brand will approach this Instagram person who's attractive and say, wear our makeup and promote it in your Instagram post. Like shout out to, you know, Grace Beauty products for giving me this free makeup. And then they sell that or, you know, yoga pants or whatever else. And it's um, yeah, actually, that's um, where a lot, and, and then girls who are younger, who are like my, my younger sisters, I've told them to get off of Instagram multiple times. And there's a whole culture of, I have to look the way that I see these women dress mm. on Instagram, on social media, right? because that's how they dress and they get all these likes. They get millions of, of likes on Instagram. So if I don't look like that, then I'm not attractive. No one will find me attractive. Right, right. No, I actually, a couple of years ago, I had uh, both Calvin Klein and Victoria's Secret approach me about being a, a model, a male model. Mm. Uh, I had to decline. Clem um, Harold, the Victoria's I, Secret angel. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I had a lot on my plate at the time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they were, they were offering big money. Um, mm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to go into oh, that. Oh, John asked uh, how they know what his body looked like. Well, well, I mean, you're the one who keeps going on about this. Well, you got the photos, John. <laughs> You keep going on about whatever it's called, OnlyFans. Did, did they get you to sponsor Look, them? I, or? Yeah, we're sponsored by. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, we're looking for sponsors. You want to send us money? We'll we'll sell out in any second. All right. 
you know, uh, no. s- send us some cash our way. We could use it. Any- anyways, yeah. You can donate at OnlyFans.com slash Kellen and Alex. Oh, no. <laughs> to see photos of our studio in person. Don't, don't do that. Uh, okay. Anyways, anyways, off track, off track. But um, um, so I regret going there. But uh, yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. I think it's Instagram, especially. I, um, yeah, I was on Instagram for a couple of months and then ended up. Uh, first disabling and then permanently deleting my account because it's good for you. I think it's why are you on Facebook? What's wrong? With so you? Facebook, I, I do think, <laughs> I think Facebook is, is better. Facebook oh. is now for, you know, oldies like us that it, it's, um it's more a place for discussion, for sharing information, news and all that. Um, so, you know, I think Facebook is marginally better, but you know, Instagram, my, my impression of it was that it was like almost entirely um, it's, you know, a good half of it is just, it's either, you know, men and women pretending their lives are perfect and they're oh so happy all the time. Or it's like a lot of it seems to be, maybe I just had a weird Instagram, but a lot of it just seems to be women trying to attract the gaze of men who like, especially <laughs> in the summertime, but like, it's, I mean, it's like everywhere that it's just all these like pictures that you're sort of, they're putting up because they want you to look at it and feel desirable uh to what they want you know they want to feel desirable right um you know maybe maybe this that maybe that's too crude of me and i'm sure i'll be accused of being um being a perv or whatever but like i i don't think i think i'm just saying what everyone knows which is that on instagram you're scrolling through trying to find some kind of meaning and you're saying oh wow that's another gorgeous person oh wow they look really happy oh, wow yeah. i did something really amazing today um and it's all about it's me 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 you know it's the 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 iphone the the iMac, it's, it's the i generation where it's all about the ego. Uh, it's all about the self. And I think that, yeah, social media obviously perpetuates that. Um, so I think it's it's a, it's a healthy step if you can just get off it uh, and just just leave it behind. And, and that's not always easy now with with work and stuff. But I think to the, to, the, to the extent that you can do that, you'll be a happier person. I think Athanasius made a meme. Did you see this? Where it was like, facebook debates yeah. versus like the veritas debates yeah. you know and it was like uh it, it was a, it was the chad versus the slouched over guy meme um <laughs> but no it's like we figured it out so i mean we're co-founders of veritas society we love you know our in-person debates what we know we're known for but social media has just been it's you're playing the games of social media you're playing right. the games of getting likes you're playing the games on Instagram. You're playing the game of trying to be attractive, trying to sell a product. Right. Um, it's the medium that determines how the character of, of what you're doing goes, right? And I, I wonder if this is related to the propagation of stuff we were talking about earlier about uh, like Black Lives Matter, ideological stuff. It's way easy to say crazy stuff on Facebook, on Instagram. Yeah, you're showing me the meme right now. It's I'm, great. Trying, I'm taking a look at it. It's, it's great. Um, but uh, yeah, no, Veritas debates, like you actually have to be in person and debate somebody yeah. right, and talk about ideas rather than just going on firestorms on Facebook and people can hide behind all sorts of stuff. And and now with now even like, I mean, the fact yeah, Instagram, I, I just I hate it. I hate it so much. But people get all these likes on totally immodest things. I think if there's one avenue of immodesty, the biggest avenue of immodesty for our, like the younger generation, I think it's Instagram. Hands yeah. down. Hands down. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. every like they're the major uh, Instagram uh, models or influencers is mm-hmm. what they call them. Influencers. Mm-hmm. Uh 
yeah, they're totally influencing for immodesty and yeah. dressing more and more uh, terribly. And how do you how do you combat that? Like they seem to be a ship that's just like full steam ahead, mm. not going to be stopped for anything. Mm. They're making tons of money. Like, and you're going to come through with a modesty train and try and like stop that. I don't know. How practically do you go against these behemoths? Yeah. Of the let's just say original sin and the concupiscence of man. Right. Like, right. How do you fight that? Sure. You know? How do you get funded to fight that? <sighs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, does the cross sell? That's kind of the general <laughs> question. Like, yeah, sure. original sin is very marketable. Right, right. It is. It is. And the world is a lot better at this than we are. You know, right. and that's that's the way it's always going to be. Um, but I think, yeah, ultimately it, it will come down. With, you're going to see this. You'll see things come to a head and probably in our lifetimes that you're going to see the the cultural tension. It's going to reach boiling point. And in Europe, I'm convinced you're going to see persecution and this country is, has to decide whether it's going to go that route. But I think what you're going to see is in that, that, that struggle, um, that eternal struggle between the world and the church, between the people of God and the people of darkness, you will see, um, you will see the lines, the battle lines will be much more clearly defined. And, and right now, the devil doesn't want to um, fully reveal all his cards. He doesn't want to um, unveil everything at once. He, he, he's slowly working because he wants to get to the point where when he does finally reveal himself, then by that point, there are so few people who will actively stand against him. And so he's all about subtly infiltrating the church, infiltrating even institutions like Franciscan and slowly eroding our standards and slowly you know, boiling that frog um, to desensitize us to what is um, to what is pernicious and problematic. And so I think what will happen is over time, it, there will be, a, as Benedict talked about, there'll be a, the church will become smaller and purer. And ultimately, I think Catholics who buy into this whole, who, who maybe without even realizing it, they go to mass every Sunday, maybe even go to mass in the week and they have a prayer life, but they still buy into key premises of the cultural mindset of the world um, where they will suddenly be forced to make a choice of do I go along with the world or do I stop and say no enough is enough you know no I will not let you brainwash my kids you know uh, no I you know I refuse to compromise my conscience I refuse to endorse this ideology you know they'll they'll the time will come where they have to make that choice hmm. um the sooner people can realize that the better is that if you, there is there is no half-hearted Christianity and it's a very dangerous game to play. Um, we have to be um, unashamedly Christian in our outlook. And we shouldn't be scared of the world because Christ ultimately uh, is the victor. We shouldn't be, um, you know, removed from the world for most of us. Um, but we should be very wary of it. And we should be, um, we should be vigilant. And we need to be constantly um, re- discovering what it means to live the Christian life. You know, when Paul talks about running the race, you know, in the beginning of Hebrews 12, you know, that I mean, running a race sucks. Like it's, it's hard work. And there's a reason he used the metaphor. Um, and it, it doesn't make it sound like you're going to run and then take a water break and, you know, maybe chill, eat a granola bar, eat a granola bar a have bit. a bag of chips, and then maybe start again if you feel like it or mm -hmm. wait till tomorrow. I mean, no, it's, it's running a race surrounded by a crowd of witnesses until we reach the finish line. And so as Christians, like, yeah, 
you know, sorry, I hate to break it to you, but you know, life is going to be kind of tough. Like this is, this is, this is not an easy task. Um, and we should enjoy life. We should enjoy the, the pleasures and the gifts God's given us. Um, but we need to realize that we are in a battle or in a war. And so if we give in on things like social media, or if we, you know, I, I watch game of Thrones, but, um, you know, I, you know, I look the other way for the bad parts and it, it's not really affecting me. Well, I thought you really did. I thought you were saying you really did. No, I was I, like, Oh really? Okay. Nope. I do not. So no, absolutely. No, I think I was like, wow. Okay. Well, <laughs> I think that's a problem. No, it's um, a huge problem. You know, I mean, it, I think it's, it's marketing. It's all the crazy crap that goes on in game of Thrones. People are just like, well, that's just how humanity is. Yep. It's just like, yeah, right. Total denial of grace. Right. Yeah. It's, um, Again, I think it's a half-hearted Christianity where we are. Um, it, we can watch almost, Game of Thrones on Saturday night and then show up in the pew the next day, right? And just think, yeah, no, I mean, it's right. that's what everybody watches, you know. And I think a lot of it stems from, um, and, and this isn't people aren't entirely to blame for this, but it stems from a kind of a weariness, a kind of like the whole world is against us. And there are so many things we have to do to be a good Catholic. And I have to tick all these boxes and follow all these rules. And can't I just have my guilty pleasure of watching Game of Thrones or, you know, dressing in this way? And Clem said, know, I can't wear a bikini. Can I, exa- I mean, great. Yeah. Great example. Like, you know, can't I, like, what's the big deal? And like, you know, like, look, you know, God, I, you know, I, I'm doing all these things. I have a prayer life. I go to mass. I'm not a horrible person, but I think that's it. Again, it's looking, that's just looking at it the wrong way. And that's ultimately, that's looking at it in a very self-absorbed way where it's saying that the Christian life and the life of virtue is all about me and what I achieve. Um, because it's, it's ultimately, if you think about the race, running the race, um, like I said, running a race sucks. But the good news is, the really good news is that we don't have to run that race by ourselves. Because if you did, then it would be nigh on impossible to run a race for 80 years with no help. But like, so if you think that you're fulfilling all these things and living a true Christian life is all about you and it's, and it's just tiring and boring and frustrating and you get fed up with it, um, you're looking at it the wrong way because ultimately this is about a relationship with Christ. Um, and when it's a relationship, when it's fueled by love, then I think your whole mindset, your whole motivation changes. And then suddenly you realize that this is fundamentally um, this is the most worthy, most exciting, most adventurous, most incredible thing that you could ever do. Um, and you are unbelievably privileged to be in a time and a place and in circumstances where you are called to this. You have this invitation, you're aware of this, and you have the ability to pursue it with all your heart. Mm. Um, and so to like do anything less than pursue that with all your heart is, a, is life's greatest travesty. Yeah. And I think I'm reminded of a quote. This is, I think, St. Catherine of Siena. And she said, viewed from eternity... This life will seem like one short night in a crappy hotel. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> and then, you know, like St. Paul, but I, I've been thinking about this a lot. Like when St. Paul talks about it has not even entered the mind of man, what God has prepared for those who mm, love him. Like there's, yeah. and I've been trying to like, okay, whenever I try and think about eternity and the fact that like, you know, I could, this is stupid, but I could walk outside my house and just randomly get shot, you know, <laughs> but I mean, if that happens, um, by the way, Nate, Nate, if you're watching, if you're listening to this, Steubenville sucks. <laughs> Careful, <laughs> he, the windows open. When I, he hates it when I go against Steubenville. He's like, if you make fun of my city and you're not from here. John said it's like making fun of your little brother. Brother, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Also, wasn't that, you quoted, was it Catherine of Siena? 
What was that? Was that Catherine of Siena you quoted? I think so. Because I, I the, the translation I heard was, you know, everything on earth. I might earth. have mistranslated, yeah. Well, I thought it was everything on earth will be will be just like spending one night in Francis Hall. But um, <laughs> that's that's the one I'm familiar Yeah, with, that's but. worse than a crappy hotel. I, I like that. Um, but yeah, it, it's so, whenever I'm thinking of eternity, I'm just like, yeah, so all these, and, and it goes back to what you're saying, like, um, are we going to completely revolutionize America overnight? you know, and, and, and bring it back to Catholic culture. Mm. It's a tall order and I think we should do it. And I'm saying, let's do it. But, um, living the Christian life in your own life and trying to apply these things and not just giving up the fight and basically saying, and this is the thing, and, and, and Dr. Jones and Dr. Hahn and a lot of people up on campus have been talking about, like, you have to believe that grace actually works. You have to believe mm. that living the Christian life is actually possible. And this is a conversation we've had a lot. Yeah. Um, like living the Christian life isn't just some abstract, you know, difficult, um, like, like Luther said back in the day when, um, he was talking about, uh, the sermon on the Mount. He said, the sermon on the Mount is basically Christ telling everyone, this is what perfection looks like and you'll never live up to it. Yeah. So all you have to do is have faith in me and you still won't live up to it, but at least you know what you should have done. Mm, right. Mm. The Catholic perspective is sermon on the Mount. When he says, even if you look at a woman lustfully, you commit adultery in your heart. Like you, like Christ in the Catholic perspective actually can give you the grace. If you believe in him, you receive the sacraments, you're living the Christian mm. life. Christ can actually give you the grace to avoid that mm. and to actually live a, a life that's in, in grace, that is living, you know, we're living heaven on earth already in, yeah. in the sense of like, we're tending towards heaven. Mm. That is possible. And I think if, if we believe in grace and we believe like we can actually live modestly. We can actually live chaste lives. Mm. We can actually live the Christian virtues. If yeah. we believe in that, we believe in grace. You don't just have to give up and say, well, I'm just a man. I just have these desires and whatever, and and give up the fight basically, right. which right. so many people in our, our culture, Catholic, you know, Protestants, whoever, they've given up the fight for living the Christian life. Mm. They mm. just said, it's too hard. Original sin is too much. Sure. Yeah. I think hundred percent. I think if we if we view the gospel as solely informative, telling us what we need to do to get to heaven and what we need to do to live our lives uprightly, then we are missing the fact that fundamentally what the gospels are about more properly is being not just informative, but transformative and that they are giving us the grace, like you say, to become sons and daughters of God uh, in the image um, of Christ. And so, yeah, I think that is, it's a very, if we... <laughs> If we miss that, we miss everything um, because, yeah, if Christ does not call us to anything which he hasn't given us the grace to achieve. There's like, there's such an element of, um, <laughs> I'm thinking like Lord of the Rings when, um, you know, the, the, in two towers where um, Helm's Deep, right? Where the orc army looks like insanely massive yeah. and they don't have reinforcements. They know they're going to like lose. They the think they're going to lose. Urukai, but yeah. Yeah, the Uruk. Okay, yeah, the Urukai from Saruman, right? That's right. Yeah, not the orcs from from. Tut -tut. Yeah, I know. I'm not a. I'm not a true fan. <laughs> all right, you know? but um, you know, there's there's an element. Remember when um Theoden's in the in the chamber and he like has this look of like we're screwed, we're done. This mm. is it. It's over. Yeah, like, yeah. And um, he has this moment where he's like, it doesn't matter if it looks like it's over. I have to fight. Right? Yes. And he just believes it's going to work out. And there's something, there's something, you know, and of course, Tolkien's Catholic and, and he understands it's like, 
when the enemies seem like they're going to win and mm. it's certain they're going to win. Mm. And there's there's so many elements to that. You just have to believe that Christ is in control, that he'll give you the grace and that you can win the battle yep. small individually or socially, globally, whatever. Sure. Us global patriots, right? Uh, <laughs> and then he goes and fights and then it does work out and, and he fights and they think they're going to lose and then Gandalf shows up and they have that great scene, whatever. But that's that's like believing in grace and, and believing in uh, that you actually can do these things. Mm. You you can live modestly. You can mm. live chastely. You can. Um, it's not an impossibility like Luther thought. Mm. It's not an impossibility like so many people in our culture today. Think. Yes. Um, there's value just in believing in it, regardless of you know whether you envision that it's probable. Hundred mm. percent. Mm. I think that is where. I think the Christian virtue of hope becomes so critical. Um, and I think this is, you see why um, St. John Paul II, why hope played such a central role in his his um, pastoral ministry, as well as his, you know, echoing of, of our Lord's words, be not afraid, that we need to, we need to not be afraid of our own weakness and our own um, frailty, but we need to have hope that we can overcome ourselves we can conquer ourselves and as saint augustine says if you conquer yourself the world lies at your feet um and that is possible and yeah it's a radical message and that that is ultimately the good news of the gospel um is that it is possible to overcome the sin um and the limitations that we find ourselves in and it, yeah it doesn't get more profound than that that is uh that is a culture changing um, life transforming truth that we have to come to terms with repeatedly every day. And do you hope that Franciscan students can reasonably debate the topic of modesty? Because <laughs> we're we're thinking about making this a debate topic for Veritas, a, a dumb ox debate of sorts. Indeed, yeah, I do. I do hope that. I'm Good. always. I'm not. I'm an optimist about every debate, and I would say. Well, I was going to say there's there's no debate so far that I regret having done. I'm thinking the Trump one is the one possible exception. <laughs> really? Okay. But even that I think was worth worth doing. And I think um, I do believe Franciscan students will rise to the challenge if we choose to have this debate. And I think it'll be very, uh, very informative. So yeah, I do. I do have hope. We still have to figure out a motion. We do. Yeah. That's that's going to be the challenging part is getting the wording for that one is is no easy task. I mean, because people, I think people in general think modesty like, it's a good thing. I don't think you'd find a Catholic who said modesty is bad. I mean, even like, I mean, you look at like, uh, is it Second Peter where Peter's like dressed, basically just like dressed modestly. Like yeah. you shouldn't have outward show. Don't be worried about jewelry and all this stuff, but mm. the inner interior, like every reasonable Catholic here up at Franciscan, of which the only unreasonable Catholics I've found at Franciscan are the ones on social media. Like, mm. I don't understand. Maybe <laughs> John, you could weigh in on this too. Like, David was talking about, I was talking to David Willie about this. I was like, I've never had an interaction with a Franciscan student in person where I was like, this person's bonkers out of their mind or something. Yeah. But then you'll read some garbage on Facebook right. and you're like, who the hell are these people? Yeah, you do. I, like, like, I've never found them. I've never, I've been your, <laughs> this is my fourth year. I've yeah. not found one person where I thought this, right. this person's like, it, maybe it's just a friend group. Of yeah. Them, do whatever, these people but, like just live in their dorm room? Or, yeah. Where are these people? Are they, who are they? Yeah. I, I, no, I agree. Another reason why I'm off of, the Facebook yeah, no, good wars or whatever. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's an interesting one, but I think, um, yeah, I think social media does bring out the worst in people, but I think, you know, I, I still have, I, 
I'm fundamentally an optimist about Franciscan. You know, there, Franciscan has many critics on both sides of the aisle, but I ultimately believe it is, a, is an incredible place that is blessed by God and he's really trying to work a lot of good here. And even though I think there's elements of uh, the way we approach things that need to be become much more radical, I, I think ultimately it is a very a very blessed place. And I, you know, I think it's a huge privilege to be studying here. That was one of our uh, mission statements for Veritas, promoting a more a radical and there was another reasonable faith, radical and reasonable faith. Mm. Francis University. That's right. That's right. We've had uh, what is it? Two years now of uh, radical and reasonable Veritas Society trying to do yeah, the best o- that we can. Over two years. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah. It's, uh, been a, it's been a fun ride. <laughs> how many, we've had what? 15, 16 debates, something like that. Yeah, it's a good question, actually. It's been a lot. Yeah. I see. I remember. I mean, it was. I guess I think we're up to eighteen, even something like that. It was. I know it's kind of thrown off by COVID, but I think I remember seeing that even with that. By the time I graduate, we'll we'll live to see our twenty fifth. So yeah. that would be pretty epic. Senior spring twenty fifth mm-hmm. Denmark's debate. Uh, we'll have to we'll have to get Kristen Dem out for that one. But oh yeah, we were gonna have them out in April, I think, for That's a right. debate. Yeah, That's right. and yeah. we were gonna do the opposite to them, which is they because <laughs> we went to them and <laughs> they totally voted against us. Yeah, even though we had the clear position that yeah. should have won, <laughs> so we were gonna give them the losing position for this one. Yeah, <laughs> to, to get them back. We're still salty about that. It's, it's like uh, it's like you know pegging the opposing batter like a year later. After did you see that with Hunter Strickland? Oh, that was terrible. Uh, anyways. He, he pegged Bryce Harper two years after the after Bryce Harper had hit a home run on him. Two years later, next time they met, he threw a fastball right at him. <laughs> Bryce Harper. That would be us with Kristen. Though. We'd throw oh, a fastball right at him. We'll get our chance to. We will. Um, but uh, yeah, no, we have. It's been a. It's really been an experiment with us to to figure out how to. Because we had this parliamentary style debate, but it's mm. an experiment of like, is you know, how can you get ideas to be discussed in this type of way. And I think we've really demonstrated to people that you can have debates on really pivotal topics where reasonable Catholics can disagree and they can do it really well. Mm, mm. Like that was such, and and I I don't think we should discount it just for the fact that like, oh, we're just a small club. We've run a few debates, whatever. How really an achievement that is for us to demonstrate to people that flame wars on Facebook are not the only way you can talk to people yeah. <laughs> and debate real issues, sure. which is an art that's being, you know, systemically lost in our, our country and mm. around the world. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And I agree. I think, uh, I remember back freshman year, I contemplated this idea of, could we do parliamentary debates? Um, and I remember I was skeptical of it. I, I thought on this campus, just not possible. I think students wouldn't be able to rise to the challenge. There wouldn't be enough intellectual depth. There wouldn't be the willingness to grapple with these issues in a, in a civil charitable way, constructive way. Uh, but I was proven wrong. I think we we have shown repeatedly that um, there's not only a hunger for that kind of um, constructive dialogue, um, but also there is a, um, yeah, there's a real willingness to to see it played out. And I think, yeah, and so on so many issues, I think the debates have been really a force for good at Franciscan. We have our we have our critics as a society, and you know, I think. Um, if you have no critics in what you're doing in life, then you're, you're definitely not doing very much. You know, I think this, the fact that anytime you do anything worthwhile, you will have people criticizing you mm-hmm. and that's to be expected so that it doesn't bother, it doesn't uh, bother me unduly. But I think, yeah, ultimately, um, they have been a tremendous force for good at Franciscan in shaking people out of their intellectual apathy 
um, out of their bubbles and, and actually forcing people to engage with opposing viewpoints and to practice skills of rhetoric and public speaking um, and argumentation. So I think, yeah, I think it's been really good. Because we're in a world now where speech is violence, mm. right? The postmodern critique of language, speech is violence. It's mm. a, if you're arguing for a position, you want more power. Mm. You don't actually want the good of someone else. You mm. want more power. You want them to see your way. And, yeah. and that we've completely lost. Like, I don't know if you remember um, when Ben Shapiro was with uh, the, the famous transgender guy. Um, <laughs> do, you, do you remember that, John? Uh, Caitlyn Jenner. Caitlyn Jenner? But they were talking about Caitlyn Jenner. No, I think Caitlyn Jenner was with them. No, okay. It was somebody else. Anyways. It was like some, some. There was like a panel. You know what I'm talking yeah, yeah, about, yeah. The, the panel. And, and the, the Ben Shapiro's like, no, the person right next to me is a, he's a guy. He's a guy. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 the other panelists were like, oh, you're being so offensive and all that stuff. He's like, no, he's a guy. And then the transgender guy, who is definitely a guy, but was dressing like a girl, was like, you're gonna need an ambulance to get out of this one, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, that wasn't very womanly of you. <laughs> like even trying to say with the transgender stuff. Like, even just saying, I don't think that person is a woman, I think that person is a guy, is a violent statement. Yeah. It is violence to even disagree. Yes. Yeah. I think it's, um. by the way, your the light on your mic has been flashing red every few seconds. Oh, that's fine. Just because I yell. Oh, okay. The mic's telling me. Okay, that's good. <laughs> Too loud. Yeah, yeah. Um, I th- so, so I'm sure all our listeners are getting their ears blasted out by my yelling all Most the time. Most likely. Um. Yeah, I think that I think that is like I, I think it goes back to what I said at the beginning of my comments on modesty is that we, this this cultural lie that criticizing someone's actions or their opinions is an attack on them as a person, and so to disagree with someone is to um, to um, again oppose them as an individual, which is so so patently absurd. That's right. Zoe Turn. Okay. They were talking about Tur. Okay. Yeah. 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 I, I remember that interview and it was like some, some dude pretending to be a woman and Ben just said, you know, I, I disagree with you, sir. And then he took, this guy took issue with that. Uh, and in a distinctly unfeminine way said, <laughs> yeah, you You're better watch here out. In the ambulance. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, which I've never met a woman who would say that, which is ironic. <laughs> Um, this, this, this so-called woman was a pretty, pretty, pretty burly fellow. Same with the homosexual stuff. If you say you don't support gay rights. Yeah. Right. I mean, you're, you, that speech is violent. That's not a, that's not a point of like, Hey, let's have a conversation about homosexuality or something. It's just violent. Right. And and I think, you know, today it's been Trump, right? You're either pro-Trump or you're con-Trump and in anything, any conversation, regardless, if you're not pro, if you're not con-Trump to, to a lot of people. Like what conversation can you have mm, at that point? Mm. Like, yeah, it's not it's not based on you know rational arguments or whatever. It's just it's uh, ideological positions mm, mm. more and more. Yeah, I think this is uh, yeah we we're seeing the breakdown of civil discourse, um, and I think that is um, ultimately that's what you saw in the in the, the decline of Roman and Greek societies. You saw the same thing that you the the um, the breakdown of thought. And you saw the um, stymieing of um, of dialogue and of freedom of expression, and that it will lead to the downfall of a society because 
yeah, as it moves more and more into um, more more radical forms of paganism, it, it, it rejects um, truth, replaces truth with ideology, um, and you know, you end up in a sort of 1984 state where um, even people's thought has to be controlled um, <laughs> by Big Brother. So I, I think that is that is the trajectory that we're on, uh, and unless someone sort of pulls the brakes. Um, then yeah, we're we're in trouble. I mean, you know, twenty eighty four. I wonder where we'll be then. <laughs> twenty eighty four. Oh man. So as we wrap up this very epic edition of the Kellen and Alex Show, special edition, recorded on Saturday, <laughs> not on Thursday. Um, to all the three hundred people who have commented on your Facebook post about <laughs> modesty, uh, what would you like to succinctly say to them about the reason why you think modesty should be a debate topic at Verit- uh, the Veritas Society? doing a debate topic and why do you think your post about yoga pants uh what would you like to reply to them <laughs> uh well i guess i would simply encourage them to actually read what i posted which would be a start and read the article that's that too I much shared. to ask Clem. I, I know I people know, it's, reading it's, online yep um anyway. i i have faith that they can all read and i think it would um <laughs> be beneficial actually read the article and I think they'll notice that uh, although I got a lot of entertainment out of the the trolling and the back and forth, and there, there was there was some genuine, authentic, and productive discussion in there as well. Um, but whilst I got a lot of entertainment out of the, the stupid stuff, I ultimately that actually wasn't what I was looking for when I made the post. And if you read the post, I think it's pretty clear. Um, I think in hindsight, I guess I hoped for too much. Um, our so-called intellectual and faith community. Uh, seems to be uh, both the intellect and the faith seem to be remarkably absent in discussions on this issue. So I would just say, okay, game on. Let's have this debate in person, in public, and let's let's discuss and talk through these issues. When I made that post, I wasn't there to debate. I was there to get people's perspectives. Um, but if people want to have a debate, that seems to be what people want, and let's let's go for it. And maybe we'll both learn from one another. And if we can, if everyone can just have the humility to recognize that we're all. We all have egos that are have a big influence in the way we we talk about these things. That we you know we're all worried about you know trying to prove the other person wrong and show that we're right. And we all, if we can just all accept that we need to just be a lot more humble and realize that we all make mistakes and that we none of us are 100 percent right, then I think we can actually stand to have a productive dialogue on these issues, which really do matter. And I hope the conversation today proves that that these things are really important. And I appreciate having the opportunity to sit down and actually discuss these things at length because that is sorely lacking. In, on so many issues in our culture, uh, including in the culture at Franciscan. Hope we can have that debate. That'd be a great debate. Yeah, Looking forward to stay it. Stay tuned. After the flame wars on Facebook, we can actually have people show up. Maybe they'll come out of their dorm rooms and enter it, into the fray to debate. It could be a big one. If it's uh, the debates this semester are going to be in the field house. So that's, uh, that's about 600 seats. Let's get 600 people. I'm down for that. And uh, I promise I won't show up in yoga pants with no shirt on. <laughs> Maybe John will. John, do you want to do that? Yeah. <laughs> we could show up together. Uh, yoga pants, plague doctor mask, no shirt. I as, think it'd be a good look to, to do a modesty debate. <laughs> as chairman, of course. Maybe when you get up to speak, you could just, you know, take off all your clothes while you're doing that, you know. <laughs> Pull off with it. Yeah. Take a seat with you. All right. That's going to wrap it up. This edition of the Kellen Alex Show. Clem, thanks so much for being on the podcast. We hope to have you again, man. Mr. Denley, it's been a pleasure. My second time on the show and uh, always, always a pleasure. So thank you. 
Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, if you haven't heard the Dr. Plato podcast, it'll be right under this one. I highly recommend it. We get to interview him, uh, his life, his conversion story. We go live uh, every Thursday, 6 to 8 p.m. We got an upcoming podcast with Nick Larkins and with Athanasia Cirilla on the topic of NFP. So stay tuned for that. I got a lot of questions for them. They are very opposed to NFP. So that's coming up soon. And that's going to wrap it up, wrap it up for us. Peace out, guys.